Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Nihongo Master Podcast. I'm your host Azra and I'm so excited to be here with you today. This podcast episode will be all about mystical animals in Japanese culture. If you've watched any nature documentaries about Japan, you'll know that the country is packed full of interesting creatures, from friendly tame deer to hot spring bathing monkeys. But what you might not know is that many of these animals hold a lot of mythical significance in Japan's native Shinto religion. That monkey? He has magical powers. Friendly fox? He's a messenger of the gods. Cute raccoon dog? Nah, he's a shape-shifting alcoholic who loves to party. You might have already learned a bit about the importance of mystical animals in the local culture if you're a fan of anime or J-dramas, some of which feature characters who are shape-shifting animal-humans. The otherworldly creatures of ancient religion have evolved from myths and legends to icons of pop culture. Where do you think the idea of Pokemon came from? There are tons of Japanese mystical animals, but today, I'll talk about four that hold a special spot in Japanese culture along with some useful animal-related language throughout. So keep your ears tuned for some interesting mythical animal vocabulary to add to your dictionaries. And let's go! First, we're heading into the forest and farmlands of Japan to meet our first mythical Japanese animal, the kitsune, which is Japanese for fox. This animal is arguably the most popular in folklore, popping up in hundreds of stories, anime, and movies. The word kitsune is said to be a combination of two words, kitsu, which is similar to the sound made by a fox, but can also mean come back, and tsune, which has the same meaning as always. In ancient times, the name was chosen to literally mean one that always comes back, which is a recurring theme in many of the legends of the kitsune you'll see more than a few Shinto shrines with the kitsune being represented as a pair of proud and stately fox statues flanking the entrance. That's because these animals, specifically the white kitsune, are actually messengers for Inari, the god, or kami, of rice and the harvest. In a nation which was once made up mostly of small farming communities, the god of rice is a pretty big deal, and his foxy messengers were thought to ward off evil. Maybe because foxes in the fields would literally chase off the rats and mice who could ruin a farmer's crop. Kitsune are seen as intelligent and magically powerful in Japanese folklore, able to shapeshift into human form with the shape of a beautiful woman being their favourite. While the rice god's foxes are generally benevolent, many of the others are less so. These no kitsune are the tricksy kitsune we usually hear about in stories, and they can be good or evil, depending on the individual. Encounters with them typically don't have happy endings, as the evil kitsune are said to seek out human company to drain the life force out of them, stealing their memories, or just plain eat them. So while modern singles are concerned about being catfished on dating apps, at least they don't have to worry that their beautiful new match is actually a malevolent forest critter looking to drain the life out of them although I do have a suspicion about some of my exes. If you're still suspicious that your date, friend, boss, or mailman is actually an evil kitsune out for your precious life force, use these easy tricks to catch them in the act. 
often their ears, mimi, or tails, o, will still be visible. So pull the head of their head to check. And if they get exposed to direct sunlight, their skin will appear clear and luminous. So ask them to go for a walk in the park and see if they suddenly turn shiny. Failing that, just listen to them speak. If your new friend is speaking like they're from the 19th century, chances are they're a kitsune, since these magical creatures only come forth every hundred years or so, and it takes them a while to catch up with all the latest lingo. That's right, these fox spirits can hang around for hundreds of years, and the older they are, the more powerful they become, and the more tails they grow. It's said that a kitsune can only take human form once they've both leached away enough human life force and have reached 500 years old. The oldest kitsune are said to be over 900 years old with nine tails, one for each century. Sounds familiar? That's because a famous first-gen Pokemon was inspired by the tail. One of the most popular tales of the kitsune is the story from the Nihon Ryoiki, Japanese ghost stories, a collection of strange and unusual myths from the early 9th century. The story is about a lonely man who works on his farm, successful in his harvest with a nice home, but he didn't have a wife. One day, he fell in love with a beautiful lady who appeared on his field. As people often do in old legends for some reason, he immediately asked her to marry him. And she agreed. A few years later, the wife gave birth and the family dog also had a puppy. Happy ending, right? Not really. The farmer hoped that the puppy and his child would grow up together to be great companions for each other. But the puppy grew hostile towards the wife for no apparent reason. When the puppy grew up, it tore into the wife's arm. In the chaos, the wife vanished from her robes and in her place was a fox with nine tails. When she realized what she'd done, she bolted out of the house and never returned. Of course, the farmer was heartbroken, not even caring that she was a fox spirit. His romantic prospects were pretty limited after all. Every night he would cry for her, calling out for her to please Kitsune come back. The story has a relatively happy ending though, because the fox spirit did just that returning each night to spend it next to the farmer before heading out into the wild by day. Here's a quick review of some vocab you might have missed. Kitsune, fox, kami, a god, inari, the god of rice and the harvest, o, tail, mimi, ears. For our second mystical animal, we're heading down to the riverbank to meet the kappa, a reptilian turtle monster. The word kappa actually translates to mean river child, derived from the Japanese word kawa to mean river, and wapa stemming from warawa to mean child. The kappa actually has various names depending on the region, but this one is the most well-known. Like the kitsune, these creatures fall under the category of yōkai, a general word for goblins, spirits, demons, and monsters. Kappa are child-sized, said to have vaguely the same form as a human, but with slightly different features, 
usually monkey-like limbs, a turtle shell or koora, and green scaly skin. Scales in Japanese is uroko. Some depictions also show them with beaks, claws, webbed feet, and a really unfortunate bowl-cut hairstyle. In the middle of this haircut, they have a flattened bald spot, known as a plate, and these plates are a vital part of their bodies. It's the source of their life force, representing the aquatic environment that they came from, so it has to remain wet at all times. When they venture out onto land, they put a metal helmet on to protect the water on the plate. If it gets injured or dried out, there can be severe consequences for the kappa. It's usually a death sentence. Don't feel too sorry for them though. These creatures have past convictions for attacking livestock, dragging swimming children underwater, and generally causing havoc. There are quite a few such legends of the kappa, some of which see them being outwitted by the people that they try to mess with. That's because, despite all their violent inclinations, kappa are extremely polite and feel utterly compelled to return a bow whenever they get one. Which, to be honest, seems true of a lot of humans in Japan too. People have used this to get out of the grips of the kappa by forcing them to spill the water from their plates on their heads in what must be the most passive-aggressive homicide in history. Although, the stories don't always state that the beast dies right away. The kappa will stay in its bowing position until the plate is reloaded with water from the river where it came from. Some people also use cucumbers to get the kappa to do what they want. Believe it or not, their craving for this flavourless vegetable can override all of their violent urges. There are stories of people making offerings to the kappa, like writing the names of their kids on the cucumber and throwing them into rivers as a bribe. To this day, the Japanese cucumber sushi rolls are called kappa maki. There's also a famous Japanese saying that involves the kappa. If someone is doing uncharacteristically bad at something, you might describe them as being kappa no kawa nagare, which means a kappa drowning in a river. Since kappas are basically giant turtles, they don't tend to drown. So the meaning behind the saying is that, despite being perfect at a scale or craft, one can still fail occasionally. In his story, The Child of the River, the Irish writer Lafcadio Hearn, one of Japan's earliest expats who lived here in the 19th century, gives one of the best English language accounts of an authentic Japanese kappa legend. He wrote that near the city of Matsue, there's a temple with an ancient document said to hold the signature of a kappa. The story goes that the nearby village of Kawachi had been terrorized by a kappa for some time, with the villagers losing many animals to the beast and a fair few neighbours for good measure. One day, the chief of the village was giving his horse a drink at the river when the kappa struck, trying to drag the horse down to the depths. Fortunately for the manned horse, this kappa wasn't the best at wrestling. So he ended up getting tangled in the harness of the horse and dragged into the village fields. While the kappa bowed and begged for forgiveness, the villagers debated what to do with it. In the end, they decided that, since kappa are suckers for formality, they would have it sign a sworn oath to keep its scaly fingers away from every person, animal and thing in the village. The story then jumps to a different scene of a poor farmer who, unable to afford a child, 
took throwing his newborns into the river. Life was pretty brutal for ancient peasants, but there's still no excuse. The man's children certainly thought so. Because when the farmer eventually made enough money to start a family and finally keep a child, he took it out into the fields to look at the moon. As he mused out loud about how great life was and what beautiful night it was, his baby son looked up and, speaking like an adult, scolded his father for killing him six times already. Hearn put this strange little aside next to his kappa story for a reason. Because some believe that the kappa legend came from the horrible practice of drowning unwanted newborns. The myths of evil creatures lurking in the water could be used by parents to shift the blame of disappearing babies or cover their tracks by keeping prying eyes away from the river. And that's the extremely depressing note we're going to end that one on. Moving swiftly on, here's a quick vocab recap. Kappa, the turtle goblins. Kora, shell. Uroko, scales. Kappa no kawa nagare, the idiom which literally means a kappa drowning in a river. Yokai a wide word encompassing all kinds of spirits, demons, and monsters. Now, let's turn our heads skyward to watch out for the third mystical animal on our list, the Tengu. The real-world counterpart of this mystical spirit is the kite, specifically the Japanese black kite, known as Tobi, which you'll see flying over the beaches and forests of Japan looking to part unsuspecting tourists from their hot dogs. Although nowadays, these impressive birds of prey are best known for targeting their lunches of sunbathers and hikers, in the past they had much more powerful associations. You see, while some of these birds were just plain birds, others were thought to be tengu in their bird form. What is a tengu? Well, that's a pretty big question. In the beginning, the idea came from a Chinese myth first found in Japan. In the beginning, the idea came from a Chinese myth first found in Japan in the 8th century, in which a monk saw a shooting star and called it a heavenly dog, the literal meaning of the kanji in the Tengu's name. Over the following centuries, a process of change occurred in which the distant meteor was transformed into a powerful birdman. They can take the form of kites and other birds, or transform into a human-like form with their beak, kuchibashi, plumage, umo, wings, hane, and bird feet still intact. From the time of the first myth, Buddhists thought of Tengu as omens of war, but Japan's native Shinto religion softened that image. By the time the 13th century rolled around, these bird people were depicted as neither pure evil nor totally good. They also got themselves some nice new threads, as they became associated with the Shinto Buddhist mashup faith of Shugendo and were often depicted with the signature robes, sash, and the black cap of the sect. It's probable that these divine birds became associated with those monks because both dwelled deep in the mountains of Japan. From then on, rather than a flash of light in the sky, Tengu were a key part of Japanese folklore, ready to flaunt their magical powers throughout dozens of popular legends. Most of these involve the Tengu assisting monks in their holy business, transforming into women to test their celibacy, 
robbing temples of their riches, or causing strong winds using a handheld feather fan, which seems a little redundant when you already have wings. Their mischief wasn't always ill-natured, as they were for a long time seen as guardians of the Buddhist Dharma, natural order, who would target temples and monks that strayed from their path. There's one more key part to the Tengu legend which takes things in an even stranger direction. There are two different kinds. The type I've just described is part of the Kotengu, Lesser Tengu, category. Small-time tricksters and holy magicians. The stronger kind is the Daitengu, Great Tengu. These ones look a lot more like Christian angels but with red skin and a long, bratwurst-like noses, which are thought to be a more humanized representation of a bird's beak. The Daitengu started as fresh, 14th century depictions of the original, but eventually split off into a category of their own. These great Tengu are deeply involved with the ancient myths of Japan, and are kind of like minor demigods in their own right. If you fall foul of one of them, you won't find them quite as easy to trick as their more avian-featured cousins. If they find that they don't like your attitude, they might even use their magic to stretch your nose out like theirs, a punishment reserved for the arrogant. If you want to see a procession of these godly bird men for yourself, head along to Shimokita Tengu Matsuri in the hipster neighbourhood of Shimokitazawa in Tokyo. This is a parade and festival dedicated to the guardian of nearby Shinryuji Temple, a god who became a Tengu to protect it. There are so many stories about the Tengu, but one of the most famous recent ones is the Tonda Otoko, the man who flew. This story takes place in the 1800s, when a man fell from the sky in Asakusa and was left lying on the street naked. As is a totally normal thing to do when you find a naked guy passed out on the street, a farmer took him to his home. After nursing him back to health and presumably giving him something to wear, he asked him what happened. The man claimed that he had left on a pilgrimage, and while he was walking through the mountains, a monk with his face hidden behind a feathered fan had stopped and questioned him. When the monk revealed his face, to the man's surprise, he was greeted by a long-nosed tengu who carried him away to a hidden village with others just like it. Like the alien abduction stories of the 1950s, loads of people bought into this guy's story and others like it. The tales of the Tengu and their powers were so well known that in 1860, when the shogun Tokugawa Iemochi went to visit the mountain city Nikko, there was an announcement placed around the woods that said that the generals were planning to visit the city cemetery in spring, and that all of the devils of the surrounding forest should clear out until the visit was over. Prayers, rituals, and offerings were made on the paths of the mountains on behalf of the shogun, so that the tengu would allow a safe passage through the mountains. When even the shogun himself was groveling to the heavenly kite demon priestmen, you know they must have been feared. Here's a quick recap of our avian vocab related to the Tengu. Tengu, the bird-like mystical animal. Tobi, the black kites which Tengu are mainly associated with. Kuchibashi, 
the beak, umo, plumage, hane, wings. So we hunted through land, sea, and air for our first three mystical animals. But if you want to catch a sight of number four, you'd probably be better off heading to the pub. That's a favourite haunt of the tanuki. These animals are quite common in Japan, but not very famous outside of the country. In English, they're known as raccoon dogs, but they're actually much more closely related to foxes and coyotes. You can easily identify them by their distinctive black stripes of fur, kegawa in Japanese, under their eyes. Although, their mystical representation have a few more defining features. Have you ever went to a restaurant in Japan and been greeted at the doorway by a wooden statue of a blissed out, bear-like creature with a big smile and gigantic testicles? Yeah, that's a tanuki. The statues are especially ubiquitous in Kyoto, and they show them standing on their hind legs with a chubby belly from all the eating and drinking they love to do, which is why many tourists mistake them for bears. There are many different depictions of the tanuki, but common motives include human clothes, flasks of sake, and bags of gold. Oh right, the testicles! I almost forgot. You're probably wondering what the deal is with those. The myth states that the tanuki's testicles are magical, and while making for some great pickup lines, this also means that they can use them for all sorts of purposes. If you've seen the Studio Ghibli anime film Pompoko, you already know this, because you've seen them use their inflatable, shape-shifting scrotums as everything from battering rams to parachutes. Surprisingly, the bizarre part of the tanuki legends actually has quite a sensible, real-world source. It comes from the goldsmiths of Kanazawa, who needed animal skins to use when hammering out thin leaves of gold. The best pelt, or juhi in Japanese, for this turned out to be tanuki scrotum, which could stretch out incredibly far and produce the thinnest, largest sheets. Because of this, during the Edo period, the scrotums were sold as purses and totems, the idea being that the holder would be able to stretch their pennies as far as the goldsmiths stretched their goals. It was then, during the Edo period, that the testicles really came to the fore of the tanuki lore. Nowadays, the phrase kin no tama, which literally means balls of gold, is a pun to refer to the scrotum because it's really close to the slang term kintama. While tanuki are now seen as comic relief characters and pranksters, they once had a slightly more serious role. Just like the aforementioned Studio Ghibli movie in which they protect their woodland from developers, the tanuki's proper job is as a guardian of the forest. But in stories from the past few centuries, you're more likely to find them slacking off and shape-shifting to eat, drink, and seduce their way through the human world. Many tanuki prefer to imitate a Buddhist monk, called a tanuki bozu, when in this form. Like their animal form, the tanuki bozu are portrayed as chubby and cheerful, said by some to be a jibe by the artists aim at wealthy and decadent monks, who themselves had a softer spot for sake than scripture.
written tanuki stories in Japanese folklore stretch all the way back to Nihon Shoki, the Chronicles of Japan, written in 720. But the most famous tanuki myth was popularized in the 19th century folktale Bunbuku Chagama, roughly translated as happiness bubbling over like a teapot. The story goes that a poor junk trader found a tanuki stuck in a trap while walking through the woods. Seeing it struggle, he decided to free it out of pity. After the creature ran off in a panic, the man thought that was the last time he'd ever see of it. But that evening, as he sat in his hut, the tanuki came to the man to repay his kindness. The scheming canine had a perfect plan. He would transform himself into a fancy traditional teapot or kyusu in Japanese and have the trader sell him to a Buddhist priest. All seemed to be going well when the man collected a nice price for his raccoon dog in disguise, but the plan fell apart soon after. While performing the ancient art of tea ceremony, the priest got a bit of a shock when his teapot sprouted arms, then legs, then a tail, and it leapt off the flames and ran out of the room. With a scorched rear, the tanuki returned to the junk trader's hut and admitted that, okay, maybe he hadn't quite thought this one through. But he had another idea if the man would just hear him out. Teapot circus. Rather than just saying, you're a drunk tanuki, go home, the man rolled with the idea and soon they had set up a lucrative travelling show in which the half tanuki half teapot would walk a tightrope in front of big crowds. Although the ending is pretty wild, the moral of the story is sound. It pays to be kind, especially to nature. If you prefer your folktales with a cheesy message, then how about this one? Another famous tanuki tale sees one of the wily beasts visit a house of expensive courtesans in Nagasaki. After a full evening of every vice imaginable, the creature woke up to screaming from the women next to him. He had slipped back to his original form after blacking out drunk. After the tanuki fled the premises in what I imagine as an extended slapstick sequence a la Tom and Jerry, the madam found that all of the money it had paid that evening had transformed into piles of leaves. So the moral of the story is, mm, honestly, I have no idea. Anyway, Here's a quick recap of some useful tanuki-related vocab. Tanuki, the raccoon dog. Juhi, pelt. Kegawa, fur. Kyusu, teapot. Always check for fur and limbs before you buy. So that completes our whistle-stop tour through the nature world of Japan and its most famous mystical inhabitants. We had the kitsune, Guardian of Shrines or Stealer of Life Force, the Kappa, River-dwelling menace with a taste for cucumber, the Tengu, a heavenly birdman with a nose to rival Pinocchio, and the Tanuki, shape-shifting raccoon dog with an appetite for alcohol as large as its nether regions. With each mystical animal, I hope you caught a few new keywords that'll boost your Japanese language skills, even if just a little. If you're feeling inspired to pick up some more Japanese for yourself, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the official website to learn more about the awesome online language lessons which Nihongo Master offers.
Thank you so much for listening in and I'm looking forward to the next one. I hope that you'll join me then as well. Mata ne!